0: I'll be reading Lamentations 3, 21 through 24, a very brief passage. This is the living, inerrant word of God. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions, or his mercies, fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Father in heaven, we rejoice this morning that we can hear and read and learn from your precious holy word this morning. We bow before you as our king, and we ask that you would grant us wisdom to understand and to apply your word, which is our life. And Lord, help us to grow in our love for you through this time. Fill us with your spirit. Give us teachable hearts ready to apply your word, for we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, amen. 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 Please be seated. (coughs) I think most of you know, recently you saw my children gathered here about two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. We had another another, uh, Duff family reunion. Uh, Sometimes we call it Duff Dynasty. We didn't talk so much about Dynasty this time. Uh, but we did have a, a good get-together, and we really rejoice in those times. In fact, we often s- just sit around, and we recall things. You might notice that that's the key active word in the sermon title. And we like to recall these things. And it's fun. We talk about books we've read together. In fact, this last time, it was a unique time, because for some reason, they just kept recalling these you know, children's books that we read to them, and they could quote lines from it, and they said the impact it had on them. I, I was really surprised. Uh, Here's a mini sermon. I'd say, your kids are really listening to those little children's books. They, they, I mean, of course, we read them multiple times, slept through some of them, but, um, you know, your kids listen a lot to that. So we recalled uh, a lot of th- good things, mostly good things. And we also recalled some things that were kind of tough in our family. And um, we recalled going on vacations, going to museums, which the kids said we did too often. Uh, but it was actually mostly a, a joyful time to recall God's mercy to us. And as you can see, the action word is the word recall. And uh, the older I get, <clears throat> the more that is harder to do. It has to be more intentional, you know, intentionally trying to recall something. I, I seem to recall odd bits of kind of weird things in my early life, but then I have to work at recalling what I need at the moment, like, You know, where is this or that? Or uh, why did I come to this room? You know, those kind of things. And to recall means that something which was known has been forgotten or at least little remembered. And so we have to be reminded somehow. We have to work to bring what was known back to our minds and to our consciousness. Now, as believers in the living God, we are blessed, greatly blessed, to be able to recall who he is and what he has done and what he desires of us because he has given us his precious word. We have his promises. We have his revelation and and his spirit dwelling in us to help us recall these things. In Romans 15, Paul wrote, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So the scriptures were given to us to give us hope, to remember uh, what was written before, written for us to recall. And then we will have hope. Now, our hope, the basic thesis of this sermon is our hope is based on his mercy. And we need to be reminded of his mercy by coming uh, to the scriptures. And some believers think that the mercy of God is mostly uh, written in the New Testament. But actually, uh, the Old Testament has more than four times as much to say in references to God's mercy. A.W. Tozer and the knowledge of the holy, I think many of you have that book, it's a great devotional, Uh, said, whether in the Garden of Eden or the Garden of Gethsemane, God is merciful as well as just. He has always dealt in mercy with mankind and will always deal in justice when his mercy is despised. Another book I like, another devotional, A.W. Pink's, The Attributes of God, in his chapter on God's mercy he wrote it this way, most of it is some references to scripture with a few comments. But from Psalm 57, thy mercy is great unto the heavens. And then he says, the riches thereof transcend our loftiest thought. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those that fear him, Psalm 103. None can measure it. The elect are designated as vessels of mercy. That's what we are called, that's one of our names. You, we are vessels of mercy, according to Romans 9. It is mercy that quickened them when they were dead in sins, that's Ephesians 2. It is mercy that saves them, Titus 3.5. It is his abundant mercy which uh, begat them, or they were born again to a, an eternal inheritance and living hope, 1 Peter 1. And then he says, time would fail us to tell of his preserving mercy, his sustaining mercy, his pardoning mercy, his supplying mercy. Under his own, God is the father of mercies. In a psalm of thanksgiving, David wrote this, First Chronicles 16, remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Remember his marvelous works. And later on in that same chapter, remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations. So the people of God were to remember how he brought them out of the bondage in Egypt and how he led them in the wilderness and made a covenant with their patriarchs. You'd think that would be hard to forget or two, you know, that you would remember something like that. But we, they were called, and we are often called to remember, to recall. We are commanded to do so. In Deuteronomy 32, Moses, uh, before he died said, remember the days of old, He's talking to the people, remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations, ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you. And we're often exhorted to remember the word the commandments, and to remember who he is and what he has done. David wrote, I remember the days of old, I meditate on all your works, I muse on the works of your hands, Psalm 143. Now, in Lamentations here, uh, Jeremiah was recalling some really, really bad times and the the Lord's righteous judgment upon them. He's recalling that also, or, or declaring it, showing it. And in the midst of that, and in the middle of this book, he recalled to his mind, the mercies of the Lord. And because he recalled God's mercies to him, he had hope in a seemingly hopeless situation. And I'd like to, if you have that open, I'm gonna look back a little bit in that same chapter, chapter three, starting in verse 14. And when you read these verses, verses 14 through 20, right before uh, the part we're looking at primarily today, you can see how low Jeremiah was right before he recalled God's mercy. In verse 14, he says, I have become the ridicule or the laughingstock of all my people, their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall." My soul still remembers and sinks within me. So he was remembering other things too. But then, in verse 21, we see a great change, a huge contrast. Jeremiah said, Yet, in fact, some versions they say, Yet. It says, Yet, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. This is similar, I think, to Job, who said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. So he began recalling God's mercies to him. And When I first was thinking of this, I wondered, well, how did that happen? It could have happened a number of ways. Did he just decide, I can't survive if I keep thinking like this in the way we just read? I can't survive this. So he turned his mind by his own will uh, to the promises of the Lord. Or did the Holy Spirit turn his uh, heart to the word? Certainly. Or was it a person in Jeremiah's life who prayed for him or spoke to him? Uh, so as to help him regain a right perspective based on God's character and God's promises. But in any case, the Lord showed mercy to him in helping him recall God's mercy. So it's God's mercy to remind him that God is merciful. In verses 21 through 23, this is a very brief passage. It's not that many words in the middle of many lamentations on both sides of this passage. And it's so different, and it's so full of hope than what precedes it. And follows it. And however the Lord enabled Jeremiah to recall the truth of God's mercies uh, to him, uh, which give hope, he mentally did recall, and he brought to mind, and he said, and he and he wrote, and maybe he sang, these awesome words of hope. And we don't need to be brought to the level of trial and discouragement that Jeremiah did to recall God's mercies to us. In fact, we are to recall his mercy more and more. We should be doing that. More and more as we are sanctified, as we grow in our love for the Lord, we'll more readily realize the hope which only God gives in Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, to have hope, first, recall his mercies, verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Quick definition of mercy, kind forbearance shown toward an offender. We are offenders, kind forbearance, Shown toward an offender, it's often compassionate forbearance is another word, or just pity. And, brothers and sisters, we were meant to receive his mercy. We are vessels of mercy, as I mentioned earlier. And we are meant not to just thank him for it at the beginning of our walk with him. Or sporadically. But we were meant to, and we were made to recall his mercy often. And I'd like to highlight a few passages which help us understand God's mercies and how it is connected to our hope. Any true hope we have is based on the mercy of God. Genesis 32, verse 10. Jacob uh, was praying to the Lord as he was about to meet his brother Esau. You remember the picture is coming with uh, men and uh, Jacob expected him to be angry to the point of wanting to kill him and possibly his family. You know, you know this story. So he heard Esau's coming, all these men are coming against him and if he wasn't sweating because it was a hot place, he probably was sweating a lot at this point. And in verse 10, Jacob said, I am not worthy, to the, he's praying to the Lord, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. He humbled himself, he said, I, I, I don't deserve any of the good things you've given me and all your mercies, the least of your mercies. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, now I've become two companies. So he acknowledged, first of all, in his situation, as tough as it looked, he acknowledged God's abundant mercy to him. And he had nothing, and now he has a large family and great wealth. So he acknowledged the mercies of God, and then in verse 11, he prays for deliverance, knowing that God is merciful. He said, verse 11, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. And he knew his merciful God would hear his prayer. And then in verse 12, Jacob recalls a promise from the Lord and reminds the Lord of this promise in a sense. In verse 12 he says, "'For you said, I will surely treat you well "'and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, "'which cannot be numbered for multitude.'" So here it looks like he and his whole family are gonna be wiped out. And what did Jacob do? He recalled God's mercies to him first, and he thanked God for them. And then he prayed according to God's mercy for deliverance and recalling God's promise to him. And I believe at that point, he had hope that he and his family would survive. And they did survive. Secondly, Ephesians chapter two, verses four through six. But God who is rich in mercy, God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now earlier in the book of Ephesians in chapter one, Paul had prayed that they would understand the hope of their calling. He wanted them to understand the hope of their calling and he spells out here the foundation of that hope. We understand the hope of our calling when we stand in awe of his mercy. And Paul reminds them here in in these verses that God, who is rich in mercy, because he has great love for us, uh, his compassions and love never fail because of his rich mercy, he made us alive in Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses and sins. Being dead in our trespasses and sins is a place where there is no hope, but being alive in Christ gives us an eternal hope. And then finally, a passage that... Ray looked at a little bit uh, past where he was. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. So because of his abundant mercy, we are born again to a living hope. We have that hope because of his abundant mercy to us who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Amazing mercy upon us and grace. Now the Lord of glory should be exalted and praised often by his children because of his abundant mercy, his overflowing mercy lavished on us. And he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. If you haven't read First Peter lately, it was written, as Ray said, also during a time of great suffering and great trial. The saints were suffering for doing the will of God. Whereas Israel, in the section we're looking at, Israel was suffering during the time when Jeremiah wrote this because of disobedience. And of course, First Peter 3 says, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So the Lord, through Peter, began this letter to encourage uh, the pilgrims of the dispersion, as Ray mentioned. Uh, They were dispersed. They were forced to disperse. And Peter wants to encourage them, again, as Ray said, to remember and to recall that they have a living hope. They've been born again to a living hope. And this is in the midst of all that they're going through. And that he wants them to remember that that hope is because of the abundant mercy of God. It's founded on God's mercy. It's not something else that gives them hope. It's God's mercy to them. Well, what is a living hope? Well, we see in verse three again that it is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's living and it's eternal and it's full of power because it came to us and is continual for us in the power of the resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit, who is a blessed guarantee of this wonderful inheritance. Now, shouldn't an amazing inheritance, brothers and sisters, give us great hope? Every day we can live and enjoy living because the Lord lives. And in him, we live and move and have our being. We have everlasting life. We have abundant life because of his abundant mercy in Jesus Christ. And so in 1 Peter 1, 3, I believe this could be a life-altering verse. If you recalled this, if you woke up to this, can you think of how after waking up, your day would look different? The hope that you would have if you would think this, and if you would say this, blessed be, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten me again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I think it would change certainly the way you look at the day, no matter how hard you think that day may, may be, expect it to be. In Psalm 32, David said, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. I think this is a great picture. His mercy surrounds us. Yet, do we know the joy of this surrounding mercy daily? And do we give him thanks for it? So how do we, just briefly, how do we get in the habit of recalling his mercies to us? Well, first of all, we should praise him daily. And then ask the Lord to fill your heart and mind with a desire to see his mercy, to understand it more, to thank him for his mercy. And then you can memorize Lamentations 3, this passage, and wake up to it or sing it or go to bed thinking it. You can tell others who need to hear of His mercies and find hope. You can speak of it, and as you do so, you will recall it more often. And as you continue to read all of Scripture, as you work through your reading program, you read all through Scripture, you'll see His mercies woven all through it. Now, sometimes in Scripture, His mercies are called tender mercies. For example, Psalm 103 says, who who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness, and tender mercies. It's an interesting picture. He crowns us. It may be a little hard for us to understand. Uh, you know, you have a crown. You are crowned with his mercy. Now, not many of you have worn a crown, probably, unless you were in a play or you're a king or queen in a play or something, or if you've been to Burger King lately, maybe. But, you know, a crown is a visible sign of blessing. And God's mercy to us clearly shows his loving kindness to his people and gives us hope. It shows we are part of the family of the king because we know his loving kindness and we know his tender mercies. We are crowned with it, we're surrounded by it. And then we can act according uh, to the mercy that we have received. So in verse 21, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Recall his mercies to your mind in all the ways that the Lord has given you to do so, and so you will have hope. Secondly, recall his mercy in your salvation. Verse 22a, Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. In some versions, it says, because of the steadfast love of the Lord, we are not cut off. We are not consumed. We are not destroyed because of his mercy. And because the Lord's mercies cause his compassions to never fail, we are not consumed for our sin. We are not cut off as we could be. This shows the depth of his mercies in our salvation. We must recall his mercy in saving us And we, through the Lord's rich and abundant mercies, are not consumed. We are not cut off. In fact, we are given life and hope in Jesus Christ. And we are not only not consumed and punished for our sins or cut off, but we are blessed with an eternal life and hope in Jesus. What an exchange. What amazing grace God has given us. Through Isaiah, in verse 60, the Lord said, for in in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor... I have had mercy on you. And Habakkuk knew he could cry out, he could pray to the Lord in wrath, remember mercy. He knew God was merciful. In Romans 9, uh, this is quoting from Exodus 33, the Lord said to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it, that is our righteousness, our justification, is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. So he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. He is sovereign in the expression of his mercy in our salvation. Titus 3, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. According to his mercy he has saved us. In 2 Samuel 24, we read of these choices, Phil preached on this uh, quite a while ago. The choice is that David was given uh, by God as a punishment for the sin of numbering the people, for the census. And in 2 Samuel 24, verse 11, it begins, Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And then in verse 14, we read of David's decision. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great but do not let me fall into the hand of man." And then the Lord sent a plague. Now there's certainly not a lot of mercy between man and man, except between or from those who know mercy from God. David knew this also. He had seen plenty of cruelty uh, from men. And so he decided that he would rather be judged, he'd rather be punished by the almighty God, almighty merciful God, rather than by man, because he knew that God's mercies are great. David said, I will sing of mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. And God was indeed merciful. In verse 25, after David brought an offering, it says, so the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. So David submitted to this physical judgment coming from the Lord of mercy, actually. And so he had hope in God's mercy that they would not be utterly destroyed. Psalm 130 says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. And we should fear him who alone can give mercy and salvation. Psalm 147 says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. He takes pleasure in us. He is pleased with us when we hope in his mercy. And this comes from the fear of the Lord, which reminds us of his mercy. And the Apostle Luke (coughs) said it this way in Luke chapter 1. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy is on generations of people who fear him and walk with him. So verse 22a says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because of the steadfast love of the Lord, which never ceases, we are not cut off. Remember, brothers and sisters, that you are saved by his mercy. And daily praise him for your salvation in Jesus Christ. And these mercies never fail, they cannot fail. Verse 22b, because his compassions and his, or his mercies fail not. They never fail, in fact, they're constantly renewed, they're constantly being renewed. They can never run out, it's kind of like the manna that was given daily, and it would not run out. They couldn't pile it up, but it, they trusted in his supply to meet their daily need. Jeremiah was saying, in effect, that he had to live one day at a time relying on God's mercy. In Philippians four, Paul said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. As we are daily in need of recalling his mercy, he supplies it without fail. Now God's supply of mercy is inexhaustible. It's supplied when we need it. And it's done in a way that shows his amazing riches of his grace through the Lord Jesus. In Joshua 21, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. His promise of mercy, as we know it in his word, will not fail. At this point, as I was working through this, I started thinking about well, what are some of the characteristics of people who know and rely on God's mercy? They live knowing that God's mercies cannot and will not fail. I just had a few thoughts. There's probably many more. Maybe you could come up with some more. My, the first ones that came to my mind were these kind of people are merciful to others. And they're empathetic and they're kind and they're tender-hearted. And I believe these people are humble because they know they have been forgiven much, that God is indeed, has indeed been merciful to them. And they're quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. And then I thought, well, what are the characteristics of people who may fear God's holiness and justice, as they should, but they don't really recall his mercy much, or they don't recall it uh, often, or they they just don't, maybe they believe it can fail. Well, first of all, I believe they treat others harshly, and they tend to be unforgiving. And they're fearful, like Martin Luther, before he realized and understood God's mercy uh, that comes by faith. In 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat Uh, it says, consulted with the people. So he's talking with the people who are assembled. And he appointed those who, who who could sing, who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. So all these singers are before the army and they were saying, this is what they said, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. So they're going out to a battle singing, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And that phrase, is mercy endures forever, occurs 41 times in the Old Testament, mostly in two places, Psalm 118 and Psalm 136. So this was their battle song in a sense. They went out to see the power of God against the people of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir. So those people had come against Israel. And they went out to see the mercy of God to his people as those enemies were destroyed. In verse 22 of that passage, in Second Chronicles 20, now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. They killed each other. They knew that God's mercy would not fail them. And by faith, they sang of his mercy as they went out to meet this army. His mercies cannot fail. They are never exhausted. And the question for us to ask, I believe, is do we act in faith like this Relying on God's mercy. Well, recall the faithfulness of his mercies, verse 23. They, that is God's mercies, are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His compassions to us are new every morning. They're continual, and we should cry. Great is your faithfulness, and we'll be singing that. We will have great hope as we remember them, as we wake up each day and as we rely on on his mercies. And there are a number of scriptures which relate his mercy and his faithfulness. For example, Psalm 89 says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. God's mercy and God's faithfulness are often together in scripture. Memorize and start your day with that, or by singing it, you know that song, I won't sing it, but I think you all know that song. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. It's a a short song, and it's easy to remember. So his mercies and his faithfulness to his promises are the foundation of our hope. It is not in other people. It is not in a change of government. It is not in our wealth or whatever we might be tempted to put our hope in. It is in the mercy of God upon us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. It is his eternal character to be faithful in his mercy. And we must praise him for that. God is faithful to his character and his promises, and his mercies are meant to be proclaimed because it gives us hope. And it also gives others hope. When we proclaim the mercy of God upon us, and they certainly know, ah, that guy really needs mercy. They already know that, you know. But when you proclaim it, and you tell it to people who uh, don't have hope, it gives them hope or gives hope to those people whose hope is in vain. It's in the wrong thing, because it's not in the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. In Psalm 92, it says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. And I believe that's a good habit. Each day, remembering his mercy to you in the morning, he even allowed you to wake up. So preach the gospel to yourself every day and praise him for his mercy, and then declare it. Sometimes in song, you can do that at the end of the day. Uh, thank him and praise him for his faithfulness to you as you look back on the day. Psalm 89 speaks of God's faithfulness through his promises, his covenant. He said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. And Psalm 89, verse 33, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. Psalm 36 also relates his mercy and his faithfulness. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. So in both cases, he's saying your mercy is in the heavens. It's great. It's high. And your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. So his mercy is great and unfathomable, like the heavens, like the stars. And his faithfulness to his promises reaches to the clouds. So Do you praise him daily and regularly as his compassions come to you? Do you recall at the end of a a day, even a hard day, his mercies upon you? It would be a good habit to begin the day relying on his mercy and end that day praising him for his faithfulness and his mercy. And do you with your mouth make known his mercies and his faithfulness to praise him and to bless others? And if you do so, you will be reminded of who he is. He is our portion. He is our hope. Verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. He is our portion. It means he's our lot in life. He is our treasure. And he is our hope. Our Father in heaven is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And we can and we should also cry out from our soul, the Lord is my portion, therefore I hope in him. He is our inheritance. So as we started in verse 21 with hope being the result of recalling his mercies, now we finish this part of Lamentations, recalling that since he himself is our portion, we have hope in him. He is our hope. His mercy points us to him. Our merciful God is our portion, he is our life, he is our all. And as we grasp that more, we will hope in him and have hope as we walk with him. And again, at this point, I started thinking, well, what are characteristics of those who remember God's mercy and hope in the Lord, whose hope is the Lord, uh, who know that he is their portion. He is their hope, he is their lot in life, he is is their all. Well, first of all, I believe they're not devastated by trial. An example to me is every time I read Voice of the Martyr magazine or that book that we handed out uh, in the beginning of the year and the stories in there, I think I've rarely read of anything even close to hopelessness by what I've read from those who are persecuted. Well, secondly, I think uh, these people are not afraid of the future. They're less fearful people. In Psalm 112, it says, uh, he, that is uh, the person who trusts in the Lord, is not afraid of evil tidings. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. He's not afraid of evil tidings. He trusts in God's mercy to him. And then what are characteristics of those who are hopeless, whose hope is not in the Lord? Well, individuals and families and whole cultures are impacted by not not knowing of of hope based on God's mercy anyway. They don't know the true hope. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, maybe two years ago, Blake Purcell came here from the Slavic Reformation Society, and he ministers in Russia. And he mentioned that alcoholism is so rampant that men have little hope, and he there are many men on the street. They have little hope, they have little purpose. And thus, he also said that there are very few men able to lead in the church. And the result, this is a result of generations of hopelessness or of a, of a false hope in an unbiblical economic system, a system which knows little of mercy. The families where God's mercy is not practiced and thus who are weak in hope tend to be, I believe, negative, maybe overly sarcastic and easily despair, as I mentioned. And when you look at our country right now, you can see this negativity, even from the church, the evangelical church, here in the U.S., because they look at the presidential choices ahead of us and they think, just throw up their hands. This is hopeless. So we must recall that the Lord is our portion, he is our inheritance, and he is our hope. Well, finally, because of what we have just heard, we must recall our task as his forgiven child. First of all, that would be to recall his mercies daily, to recall his mercies daily in prayer through the intake of his word. And then secondly, to be merciful to others. Now Jonah, you know the story, ran away rather than preach to the people of Nineveh, because he knew that God is merciful and he really didn't want the Ninevites to be spared. So when he was in the belly of the fish, he prayed this, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered. So he recalled something there. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you, went up to him. And then he said a little later on, those, he was thinking about the Ninevites here, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. So he started thinking about the Ninevites, who are idolaters. Um, They had forsaken their the only true and lasting mercy, which is possible, from the living God. And so after drying out a bit, Jonah went and obeyed and told the people to repent or God would destroy them. And as you know, they repented. And in chapter 3, Jonah wrote, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So God showed his mercy to the Ninevites and to Jonah, actually, through that confirming to Jonah that he is a merciful God and he can show mercy to whomever he desires, whether it's Pharaoh or anybody else. And Jonah said, basically, I knew that would happen. Because in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. But even though Jonah knew that God is a God of mercy, he himself did not want that mercy to be shown to all these people. But the Lord taught Jonah that if he, if Jonah can have pity or mercy on this plant, this plant which uh, shaded him for a while and then it died, why can the merciful God not give pity to 120,000 people? So in the last two verses, the Lord said, "'You have had pity on the plant "'for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left? Brothers and sisters, are there people you think are beyond God's mercy? Do we treat others with mercy as we have been treated by our Heavenly Father? Let's ask God to help us see if we are withholding mercy and forgiveness. In Micah chapter six, you know this verse, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The prophet Micah was writing to show how the people had, the people of Israel had for some time at that point become lovers of self and lovers of comfort and lovers of power uh, when they were called to justice, mercy and a humble walk with God. But at that point, they were far from that. So Micah reminded them that God had already shown them what he expects of them. He had shown them in many ways that he is a God of mercy and he expects mercy from his people. In chapter seven, at the end of the book, Micah says to the Lord uh, and for the people, verses 18 through 20, who is God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? Indeed, who is like our God in showing mercy? And then he says, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities, praise God. He delights in mercy and as his own who have experienced his mercy, so should we delight in mercy and give it. And then he ends addressing directly, God directly, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You'll give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham the people of God, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. So he recalled God's mercies. So Micah ended up by worshiping God for his forgiveness and his mercy and and truth. And with the assurance of his promise, which was sworn to the patriarchs from days of old, he recalled God's promise of mercy as he called the people to become merciful to each other. And we too must recall God's mercy more often uh, that we and others might have hope in in the God of mercy. Now our God delights in mercy, it says, and giving mercy, the giving of mercy. God said through Hosea, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So God wanted the people to be merciful more than he wanted their sacrifices or their worship without mercy. And we here know of his mercy through the forgiveness we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Our God delights in mercy and we as his people, his children, as his redeemed, are called to be imitators of God his dearly loved children. In Luke 6, it says, therefore be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. So we're to show mercy to each other in this body, in our homes, to our spouses, to our siblings, and to those with whom we work and study and work, are around, that they can see in us that our God is a God of mercy, and then they may ask us to account for that hope that is in us, because we praise God for his mercy, because we know and and we show his mercy. In James two, it says for judgment is without mercy to to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And then Matthew five, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. So we're called to be merciful and we can practice mercy as we recall the mercy of the Lord upon us. So brothers and sisters, recall his mercies to have hope. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Recall his mercy in your salvation, in saving you, and his compassions to you. Through his mercies, you are not consumed. You are not cut off. Recall that his mercies have never failed you, and they never will. His mercies fail not. Recall the faithfulness of his mercies. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Recall who he is. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So he is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And recall your task as his child, his forgiven child. You are to recall his mercies daily and to be merciful to others. Let's pray. Oh, dear Father of mercies, we rejoice in your mercy to us in Jesus Christ. And we praise you that by the power of your indwelling spirit, we can also be merciful. And oh, that we would recall daily your great mercy upon us, that we might have the hope of our calling. Your mercies fail not, your faithfulness is great. Lord, may we by your grace recall often that you are our portion and our hope. Lord, we exalt you and we praise you that in Jesus Christ we have been born again to a living hope and we have received mercy, abundant mercy. And we praise you for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.